Hey whores, I've got something to share. I love magic wands and I love anal toys. So I've partnered with LaWand and B-Vibe to get you the best discounts on their entire site. From now until June 30, get 20% off the entire store by using code SEXEDWITHTIM at checkout. Get yourself a rumbly magic wand or even a rimming plug and get you coming, baby. That's Lawand and B-Vibe and use code SEXED with Tim for 20% off both stores. Check the description for more details and I'll see you at your next orgasm. Mwah! The Sex Ed with Tim podcast is recorded on the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabeg, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit, and Métis people. We acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13, signed with the Mississaugas of the Credit, and the Williams Treaty, signed with multiple Mississaugas and Chippewa bands. You're listening to Sex Ed with Tim. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sex Ed with Tim podcast. I am your host, Tim. I'm a certified sex educator. I identify as chaotically gay. And honestly, folks, I feel like stimulating the prostate is quite the chore. Some might even say it's a pain in the ass. (laughs) (laughs) That was way too corny for for this podcast. But then again, (laughs) we're we're not really known for being professional here on Sex Ed with Tim. So, um, (laughs) oh my goodness. Um, Oh boy. Uh, folks, I am so honored to be joined by such a lovely, beautiful, handsome guest. He is a certified sex educator, certified sex coach. He is the host of Men, Sex, and Pleasure. Listen to it on all streaming platforms. Please welcome to the show, Cam Frazier. How are you, Cam? I'm good. Thank you, Tim. Thanks so much for having me. And and what a great way to start the podcast with a corny joke as well. I loved it. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that kind of just sets the tone. You know, everyone just needs to like have something in their butt and get the the pain over with, and then we're we're gonna get into the juicy details. <laughs> <laughs> totally, man. I mean, I love the I love the lightheartedness as well. Sometimes I feel like the talk of male sexuality is so serious and so like That's um, so intense. I just want to have a bit of fun with it, and you know, call me crazy, but exactly. I think sex and sexuality is supposed to be quite fun. So uh, I'm glad that we it started off on be. that note. Yeah, it should be fun. It should be funny. Oh, my God. Or uh, I meant to greet you in how the locals say it. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely not how the locals say it, but I appreciate no, no. it. <laughs> uh, maybe a, a, a firm and crisp g'day would have been a little bit g'day. more uh, g'day, closer to the locals. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> g'day, mate. Oh, boy. Uh, so, Cam, before we get right into it, how about you tell the listeners a little bit about what it is that you do? Yeah, of course. Um, Well, firstly, thank you so much for having me. Um, I am a men's sex coach and I suppose like in a nutshell, what I try and do is I I try and bridge the gap between the kind of uh, scientifically validated, medically accurate side of sex education and sexual health with what you might 
consider, let's say, the esoteric teachings and the spiritual teachings from like the mystery traditions. And uh, for me, that's like where I really resonate in terms of my own uh, understanding of sexuality and human behavior and and energy and all this sort of stuff. And so uh, when it comes to working particularly with men, and look, I would say I work predominantly with cishet men um, because that's how I identify that's my lived experience and I tend to resonate with other people that share lived experience with myself um, and for for those guys that work with me they tend to find that that um, leaning on that kind of academically sound information is a good foot in the door for them and I use that as a way to get them interested in sexuality and human behavior and kind of changing those things and then from there I, I kind of use that as a launch pad to talk about the juicy uh, energy and tantra and spirituality stuff which they may be a little bit uh, adverse to to begin with so um, you know in a in a I guess in a long story short the stuff that I teach today is the stuff that I wish I had learned 10-15 years ago when I was a teenager kind of going through my own sexual mishaps and dysfunctions and um, insecurities and anxieties about my masculinity and sexuality. I wish there'd been an, an older guy who kind of knew what he was talking about, who was compassionate, friendly, and modeling an alternative model of masculinity that I you know, had access to. And there wasn't for me. And so I try and be that guy that I needed about 10 or so years ago. Honestly, I identify with that so much because my whole like business foundation is I want you to learn from my mistakes because I did literally everything wrong. I have literally lost a butt plug inside my butt and it has just been like, please don't do what I did. And I hope you all like learn from my mistakes. <laughs> totally. It's like I've been down that path, man. You don't need you don't need to follow that path. Yeah, you, there's there's plenty of nope. other ways you can go. <laughs> it's uncharted waters and I have charted it. It's okay. Like take my word for it. So um Cam, why specifically uh men's sexuality? Like how did you start your journey into being a men's sexuality specialist? Yeah, well, I guess like what I alluded to before is like my own sexual insecurities and anxieties and stuff that was kind of happening in my late teens and early 20s. I actually, uh, I moved from Australia when I was 17 to go and live in America. I, I got a scholarship to play soccer over there and I went to a couple of universities and, you know, I was I, I was a typical collegiate athlete, you know, I was, I was part of the kind of soccer team and I went to like the, the uh, frat parties and I was, you know, the kind of token Australian dude who, you know, all the Americans kind of wanted to be friends with. and The stereotypical jock, the will, macho. I, I kind of tried to fit into that stereotype. That was like what I aspired to be, I suppose. And because I, I wasn't that, I'd always been kind of tall and a little bit skinnier. I had long hair and was never really that kind of bravado type of masculinity. Um, I always felt like I was a little bit outside of the box um, in terms of like that, that masculinity. So I never felt like I fit in. And that really... Uh, ate away at my own identity. I always felt really conflicted of like not fitting in as that stereotypical macho masculine guy. So I tried to overcompensate by drinking a lot um, to kind of make up for that masculinity. I overcompensated by going out and trying to sleep with as many women as possible and being like really um, the kind of mindset, like every hole is a goal, kind of quantity over quality. Um, I had that. Every hole is a goal. So I had, the, I had this kind of like... Cam, you and I are cut from the same cloth, my brother. <laughs> but it was a way of overcompensating, Tim, you know, like it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't healthy. It was very toxic. Um, and that manifested in a lot of mental health issues um i uh, and it also manifested as a lot of like physical health issues as well like not only was because i was drinking and quite anxious not only was i having a lot of sexual 
performance problems, I suppose. Like I wasn't able to uh, get it up because I was drinking so much or I was coming quite quickly because I was really anxious about performing sexually because that's what it means to be a man. Um, and and then I was uh, really tense and really tight and had a lot of uh, physical injuries from playing sport as well. And there was a bit of a, um, I suppose it was like a, a changing point, a light bulb moment for me was when I seriously injured my back. I, I actually fractured my lower spine and part of my rehabilitation was to go into clinical Pilates and just do rehab, I suppose, and, and just kind of get better. And, you know, it was the first time in my life during these Pilates uh, classes that I actually slowed down for the first time in my life, actually listened to my body. Um, and I noticed that I was holding on to all this tension and tightness that was getting slowly released as I was doing, you know, the stretching and the breathing and the listening. And there's plenty of times where halfway through a Pilates class or a yoga class, I'd just break down in tears on a mat or all this anger and rage Aww. would kind of come up. And I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know where it was coming from. It was just this stored emotion in my body that I hadn't been able to release before. Uh, and so I was... I was noticing that like I was having a lot of emotional stuff come up and I was like, I need to process this. So I went out and saw a, um, a counselor and the counselor recommended a psychologist. So I started doing, you know, mental health work and I started realizing that these two modalities, the kind of physical modalities of Pilates and yoga and body work and the talk-based modalities of psychology and counseling, mental health stuff, were kind of working towards the same ends of, you know, releasing things in the body, processing them, kind of letting them go, understanding them. Uh, and I started having better sex. I started noticing that I was more um, comfortable in my own skin. I started talking uh, about things a bit more openly. I started standing up for myself in those kind of locker room um, scenarios. I started calling out, you know, behavior that I thought was really unhealthy. And um, I started communicating better to my lovers and yeah, didn't, I, I learned how to breathe and relax. So I was having better sex physically as well. Uh, and that just snowballed from there. I was like, wow, there's something to this, you know? Uh, and so I, I studied psychology and philosophy at university, got my degree, traveled a whole bunch, was really privileged to be able to travel, um, was very lucky at that stage. And um, from there, uh, had the opportunity to, to continue studying a, a postgrad degree in sexology and uh, was also supplementing that with like my yoga trainings and my meditation courses and doing all this other really holistic stuff i suppose you could say with regards to approaching sexuality and um eventually you know i started up a coaching practice a sex coaching business and at the time i was like i'm just going to coach everyone <laughs> and it was uh it, and which was you know great i kind of needed to do that at the time to realize i can't coach everyone um because uh there's people whose experiences i have no um understanding of exper experientially because i haven't lived that uh, and um, there's some things that I'm not specialized in and some stuff that I'm just not familiar with. So I was like, what can I speak into with authority? What can I speak into from a place of like, I know what you've been through? And that was what I said before is like working with predominantly cisgender, heterosexual white dudes, essentially. Um, that's my target <laughs> demographic. I own that. That's what I am. That's who I am. So they're the people that I, that I work with. And you know, part of me is kind of like, oh, that's the kind of demographic that needs a lot of this work the most, you know? There's like a real Thank calling for a lot for of those guys. That. So, um, <laughs> so, uh, so that, that's where I, I sit now. It kind of took me a while to, to niche into that market and to realize that's where I feel my, my passion and my, my purpose is to work with guys like that, um, guys like myself who have kind of gone through a similar thing. And, um, and yeah, that's where I got, got to where I am today, I suppose. It's been about a 10, 15-year journey to get here, but it's been a, um, a, an amazing journey, I'll say.
Yeah, sounds like a heck of a roller coaster ride. And this all started because you were feeling tight and you went to Pilates. Yeah, yeah. Like, I was having shit sex and I hurt my back. <laughs> and things started getting better. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, you know what, Cam? In the gay community, being tight is not necessarily a bad thing. So, um, <laughs> in, in certain areas, though, I presume. In certain- <laughs> I mean, uh, if listeners will go back to previous episodes, they will know that I am known for being the tightest hole in the greater Toronto area. <laughs> so um, <laughs> that is a title I hold near and dear to me. I have a certificate right behind me to prove it. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> so that's really interesting because like, when I imagine like um, straight, white, cis men, I always have like this very... like this internal reaction when it comes to interacting with straight white cis men, because it's like 90% of my interactions with them have always been like negative. They've always like been homophobic or um, they, I see them cat call my, my friends and I'm just like, what's going on there? Like, sweetie, why are you so insecure about like what, whatever it is that's going on there. So, I want to like ask you, um, what is it that we're getting wrong about men's sexuality? Like, what is the narrative around men's sexuality that makes men, predominantly white cis het men, act that way? Because I don't get it. Yeah, I, I come from a, a from the viewpoint of an Asian gay man, so like. Help me unpack this. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, so I, I do this exercise when I host uh, workshops, which is um, I ask people, like, if we can think of the most stereotypical, like, macho man, what are some of those characteristics that he holds, right? If we can get so stereotypical and just caricature this person. And the things that often pop up when we kind of um, float around ideas is, like he's he's heterosexual, he's straight, he's tall, he's muscular, he's white, he's um, you know he's uh, like really quote unquote masculine in the sense that he's maybe like a you're Chris Hemsworth type, uh, very much so. Yes, thank you for that Australian reference as well. I appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, so you've got that kind Respecting of like the culture, yeah. Afro, uh, you've got that uh, alpha alpha male, right? Is like the the caricature that we kind of think of. Um, and so once we've got that, I'm like, okay, well from there what do we think about this man sexually? Like, what is he, how does he kind of show up as, as that man, as that alpha male in a sexual context? And it's very penis oriented, right? It's very phallocentric. It's like, he's very dominant. Um, he's very assertive and possibly even aggressive. Um, he's the person who takes charge, who instigates and who initiates. And there's a lot of these narratives, right? And stereotypes that we have about that particular type of guy. And then when we start kind of like, debriefing this oftentimes this is like the idealized guy not only is it a stereotype but it's kind of what we've idealized for um for particularly straight white dudes um a lot of guys try and fit that mold as much as possible they, and we can we can talk about where that idea has come from it's come from porn it's come from mainstream media it's kind of come from our society in general we've kind of epitomized that particular way of being a man um but it's that's a very narrow definition of what it means to be a man. And a lot of guys feel like they fall short of that particular idealized male stereotype in a whole bunch of different ways. And that causes a lot of anxiety and tension for them. And similarly to what I was doing when I was feeling that anxiety and tension, I tried to overcompensate for it. And um, in, I guess like 
the ideas I'd overcompensate in the hopes that I'd be able to, you know, maintain that facade or perform that type of masculinity um, in the hopes that maybe someone didn't call me feminine or call me gay, right? Or call me some other Mm. type of derogatory effeminate slur, which is what um, a lot of guys are afraid of being called. They're afraid of looking anything less than that particular model of masculinity. So, um, so that, that fear of being not a man or not thought of as a man or that particular type of masculine man, um, leads guys to doing a lot of pretty toxic, horrible stuff like hitting women and, uh, you know, hitting gay men and doing mm-hmm. a whole bunch of other, uh, aggressive and violent things to, to, to essentially what Paul Kivel, um, an activist from the 1980s used to say is to get back in that box of that man box. Um, this is what's kind of often referred to as man box culture is like guys want to be in that box. They don't want to be taken outside of that box. They don't want to be outside of that man box because that's when they get belittled and bullied and teased by their supposedly mates by their friends, which is I've experienced that as well. When I didn't fit that particular model of masculinity, I was definitely ostracized and ridiculed by my quote unquote friends because that's what Mm-hmm. male friendships a lot of straight male friendships amount to is taking the piss out of one another and um calling each other names for not being manly enough um so you've got this really unhealthy Ooh. kind of culture around kind of straight masculinity which is very narrow and very limited and very um boxed in i suppose and and the idea that i guess that i try and bring to the conversations that i have about masculinity is can we open that box up and can we allow for a uh, you know, masculinity for me isn't monolithic. There's plenty of masculinities. There's a lot of different ways that we can show up as men in the world. And that's one, mm-hmm. that's one simple, very linear, possibly unhealthy way of showing up as a man. Let's have a look at all these other ways. And that's, um, that's kind of like what I see, it, particularly in like our narratives today is like, there's a lot of like, here's what you shouldn't do as a guy. Here's like how you shouldn't be acting as a man, um, which is great. We kind of need that. But what I don't see and what I try, I'm really trying to do is like, well, here's actually a whole bunch of ways that you can show up as a straight guy and you know, as a cisgender guy and be really healthy and, and, you know, have this kind of really positive expression of your sexuality and your masculinity. And, and, you know, here's some alternative ways of showing up in a really healthy way, as opposed to like, just don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. I try and say, well, try doing this, try doing this, try having this, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. this option. Um, so hopefully that answers your question. No, it does. Because, um, uh, in my experience, in my lived experience as a gay man, you'd be surprised, but like, or you may not be surprised, I don't know, but we actually have very similar issues. Like, the Venn diagram is a literal circle when it comes to straight male sexuality and gay male sexuality, because uh, I don't know if you know this, but there is a term in the gay community as straight passing, mm. where gay men seek out other men who have this sort of idealized, uh, you know, image of masculinity. So those are the kinds of guys that they're going to go after because uh, the ones who are like bottoming or the ones who are very more effeminate, they're the ones that are more like frowned upon. And it does say something to like the internalized homophobia, internalized misogyny of gay men that is quite similar to straight men and i feel like that's very interesting you could probably like you know expand your demographic to the gay (laughs) man in australia like you can do a lot of good because 
girl, they need a lot of help. And I'm just like, I'm only one person. I cannot change the entire <laughs> male sexuality spectrum. Oh, boy. Well, do you no, think it's got something to do with like a sense of safety? It's like if I just adhere to this you know, societal norm of what it means to be a man, then I won't get teased or bullied or I won't get you know, ostracized or all that sort of stuff. Yes, I agree. Um, I would have to say yes to that because uh, when you're quote unquote visibly gay, like when you're wearing a crop top or high heels or like even nail polish, automatically people will like put you in a box like, okay, gay, uh, they'll use like the F word, any sort of slur. And then like, they'll like do all of these things to you that like you didn't even ask for. Mm -hmm. So having this quote unquote straight passing facade acts as a sort of armor when it comes to gay men navigating the the world, which I guess is the same in straight men because it's like, you know, you can't look like a woman. You're not allowed to be gay, like not even in the least bit or else we're going to ostracize you and, you know, cast you out. And it's just like, who even started this whole narrative of what it means to be a man? I, I, I just, uh, that's a genuine question because I'm like, where did it even start that men should be blank? Men should be this, men should be that, macho, or whatever. It's like, what? I don't, I don't get it. Find a therapist or something. Like, <laughs> shit. Oh yeah, this God. is a that's a huge question as well, you know. And and um, you know, I'm not a sociologist. I'm not an evolutionary psychologist, so I can't speak into it with any real authority. But you know, from what I've what I've looked at and from what I kind of understand in terms of what I've read there's a couple of arguments for it, right? And I, I'll just like out, outlay these arguments as briefly as possible, but there's like the biological argument, right? That, um, you know, uh, males are supposed to be uh, the, the spread your seed kind of mentality. They're like, you know, they go out and they need to have as many offspring as possible and they don't provide for children and yada, yada, yada. And this is based on what's called Bateman's anisogamy principles, which are very outdated. They've never been replicated, but you know, it got latched onto by evolutionary psychologists and people now extrapolate it, yada, yada, yada. Um, then there's kind of like the sociological um, way of thinking about it, which is like, you know, we've got this society set up, um, you know, patriarchal society set up where it's expected that men do a certain thing and fulfill this particular gender role and women do this particular gender role because that's just the way we've conditioned ourselves in society to do it. Um, and then there's other kind of theories kind of wrapped up in in all of that with regards to sexuality as well. But, you know, the more we look at, and this is something I'm really interested in, it's like the more we look at anthrop anthropological research and the more we look at like primatology research and things like that, we start to realize that these very black and white you know, very clear cut ways that we think men and women are supposed to act is actually not very black and white at all. There's actually a lot of gray area. There's a lot of nuance, but, uh, but people have, uh, let's say like agendas, there's, there's ideological agendas kind of behind, you know, I, I kind of think of it like the, the, the men's rights groups, the, you know, the kind of online misogyny groups of, of like, you know, these guys trying to push a certain way that men are supposed to be and that women are supposed to be. Uh, and they kind of latched onto these really outdated scientific explanations for things, which modern science, you know, in the last kind of two to three years has fully debunked and fully gone. No, that's, that's not correct at all. It's actually way more, um, you know, things to, to consider when you're talking about this sort of stuff. So there's, um, there's a whole bunch of different, you know, I suppose arguments, but uh, 
yeah, what oh, I, yeah. yeah, I like to, I like to like lean on this idea that masculinities exist, not necessarily masculinity, uh, you know, uh, masculinities plural is i suppose what i'm getting at here and and um finding masculinity that kind of works for you as an individual and works for you as a um as like a human being is is what i'm all about is like finding something that's unique to to you personally rather than like trying to fit this one particular type of masculinity which we're all supposed to adhere to i think that's such a limiting kind of belief system i kind of like that phrase masculinities rather than just masculinity because there's different ways to be masculine right like you don't just have to be you know extremely buff or like have the biggest dick in the world or like sleep with as many people as you you can but like you know you can still be a pretty masculine dude and not do any of those things there are some pretty like masculine men out there who don't fit this ideal mold that we have like imagined and come up with our heads you know what masculinity is fake we have created masculinity <laughs> oh my goodness it started off many many years ago with some tadpole crum- crawling out of the beach and now we're here it's like what now i have to pay bills now i have to like <laughs> my goodness this is so ridiculous that we have gone to this stage in human evolution that we're just like Men should be every macho man. I'm just like no, like no. I'm I'm over it. <laughs> so um, wow. That that's truly exhausting to have to fit into like a very specific image of what it means to be a man. And just like, uh, where do we, where do we unpack this? Like, where are men right now? getting their sex education where are they getting their ideas of what it means to be a sex machine or whatever <laughs> just like in your opinion <laughs> well you you hit the nail on the head there with actually saying sex machines because a lot of guys you know yeah. a lot of guys that i work with think that they should be machines when it comes to sex they think they think their body should function like a machine they should be able to get an erection at the flick of a switch they should be able to kind of like pump away like a piston in a machine for you know all night long and then they should be able to ejaculate you know at the end of that and and if their sex doesn't look that particular way it doesn't look you know very linear very progressive like that then they think something's wrong they think there's there's something either wrong with mm-hmm. wrong with them and the, the way their body's functioning or they think there's something wrong with their partner uh particularly a lot of the the um straight dudes that i work with they often say you know when i kind of unwrap this with them they they kind of say, oh, maybe she's not hot enough or maybe I'm not really that attracted to her or maybe she's not doing that thing that I really like that I saw in porn or you know, there's this story that kind of pops up. If, if something in their own body doesn't work, they tend to project that blame onto their partners. Um, so you know, we have to address why do they think that? Why do they think that they need to be a machine when it comes to sex? Very emotionless as well, right? That's another kind of machine, um, uh, let's say, metaphor there as well. Is like there's no strings mm-hmm. attached. It's very emotionless sex. Um, and we can kind of, you know, porn can take a lot of blame for that. Um, I think anyway, mainstream mm-hmm. mainstream porn, I'll say, because I, I definitely yep. think there's some beautiful, ethical, um, diverse, inclusive porn out there, but it's a different conversation. Um, so that mainstream porn, tube site porn definitely perpetuates that particular style of sex, which, you know, it, it's, it's a style of sex. I, I don't want to say it's a bad style of sex because it's a style of sex, which can be pleasurable for some people. And um, if that's what gets you off and that's what you enjoy, that's totally fine. What I like to think of is like eating a meal. And if that was the only 
type of sex that you had for the rest of your life, like you were only eating one meal for the rest of your I'd life, be bored. you'd be bored. Yeah, exactly. You'd get over it pretty quickly. Um, it'd be pretty dull. So, um, so Which is why I need to have sex with a lot of men because I need all the food. <laughs> you need a variety of dishes. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, and, and that's that's kind of the analogy that I use for guys is like, you know, you can, you can um, I think of this as like an erotic menu. For a lot of guys, there's only one thing on that erotic menu is that kind of missionary style, pump away, jackhammer style sex, um, which... Yeah. Which can be fun. Yeah, it's it's a meal, right? And it, it'll it'll quench your hunger if if you're hungry. Um, but it might not be exactly what you're hungry for. There might be something else that fits your appetite a little bit better. Um, you know, this is it's where, not fulfilling, right? Right, and this is where we can add a whole bunch of other things to our erotic menu. This is where we can add a whole bunch of different activities and um, exercises and strokes and stimulations and uh, and really fill up that menu. So we can choose exactly what it is that we're craving in that moment. And we can ask our partner as well, what are you craving in this moment? And not just give them one option to fulfill their, their hunger. Sorry for interrupting you, but thank you for saying ask your partner. Oh my God. Because Cam, I, I got to be honest, when there are days where I'm bottoming, the top almost never asks me what I want done to me. And I'm like, you can simply say, do you like this? Or like, how's that? Mm. It's so simple. Like, are you enjoying this? And then I'll be like, yeah. Or like, let's switch it up. I'm like, why can't? Why is it so hard for you to ask? Yeah, I think there's a um. Dan Savage used to say, um, a simple question: What are you into? And um, yeah, and that's a very like, yeah, it's such a it's such like a nonchalant way as well of asking your partner like what turns you on or what are your desires, which can be a little bit like, oh, what a fucking weird question. But just say like, what are you into? <laughs> is like a really nice way to, to start that to start that conversation <laughs> to get the ball rolling. Um, so uh, I guess we got a little bit off track there, I think, um, with regards no, to no, what no, I was fine. asking. But um, the, um, the, the, uh, that kind of you know, machine way of having sex is, um, is something that I do a lot of work with guys to move away from or at least kind of broaden their scope with regards to how they can show up sexually as a man. Um, and one of the ways I do that is, yeah, deconstructing the porn and saying, look, this is just one particular style of sex and, you know, we shouldn't try to only have sex this one way. Um, and, so, and what that comes down to is the way that they self-pleasure. A lot of times when I talk to men, straight men, about the way that they're masturbating and then, you know, the way that they're also having sex, Oftentimes, there's a lot of commonalities. And what I mean by this is like a lot of guys are sitting down in front of a computer screen, you know, mouse in one hand, cock in the other, and they're, they're just jerking off. They're just furiously, mm. vigorously masturbating like a chimpanzee. Waiting for a cum to get out and just like, oh, Exactly. It's very, very goal-oriented. Yeah. It's very going, like going through the motions, uh, friction-based mm. and like genital-centric as well. It's just focusing on the cock and focusing on the screen in front of them, very disconnected from their bodies, like stagnant, stationary, quite closed down. And then when I say, you know, how's your sex life? A lot of them say, you know, it's just missionary style sex. It's just pumping and thrusting away. Uh, you know, they have trouble, you know, expanding their pleasure and, and incorporating a lot more, you know, stimulation into their, into their sex life with their partner. And I'm like, look, do you see the similarities between the way that you're masturbating or really the way that you're conditioning yourself to experience pleasure and then the way mm -hmm. that you're having sex with your partner, right? It doesn't, things don't just magically change when you introduce another person. Oftentimes things in terms of insecurities and tensions and anxieties get ramped up when you introduce another person because of the performance mindset 
kind of starts to kick in and you've got this theory of like what you're supposed to look like when you're with your partner. So, um, so one of my partners actually is, he is twice my age and that's not a problem at all, but like he has this idea where it's like, he needs to be able to have an erection at a moment's notice all because I'm younger than him. And it's like, don't, don't pressure yourself. It's okay. We don't have to have penetration right here and now Mm. like i don't mind giving you a massage i don't mind talking to you and then it was really interesting because as soon as i said that as soon as i give him a massage and like we were starting to like talk about our day ask you how you are that's when he started to get hard yeah and that's when i started to ride it until it fell off but um different conversation (laughs) Um, but uh yeah so that's really interesting you say that because it's like we're so conditioned to think that our pleasure has to be one direction only. Totally. When there's like our entire body is a whole, you know, fucking constellation of pleasure, a whole like menu. Like, oh my goodness, it's so frustrating when people just think I'm just going to rub my dick until there's jizz and then call it a day. I'm just like, what about? the other things you're missing out on so much so um totally i yeah i often say that you're not just your dick you're actually one huge dick and you can experience <laughs> pleasure across your whole Speaking body of, do you see my huge dick pillow i right do that's amazing i gotta get me one of those yeah yeah <laughs> we are one huge dick the whole man is a big dick and we need to focus on everything else but our genitals or just include your genitals, however you want, in your masturbating uh, regime. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Yes. Hello, all my little sluts. It's me, Mama Slut. Hope you're enjoying the show so far. I just wanted to hop on here real quick to let you in on a sexy little deal. Do you like feeling sexy and looking sexy? Of course you do. Only my listeners are sexy as fuck. I have partnered with fetishwear designer Dale Kuda to bring you the hottest deals on custom jock straps, harnesses, hats, and more. Head over to dalekuda.com, that's D-A-L-E-K-U-D-A.com, and use code SEXEDWITHTIM at checkout for 25% off the entire store. Yeah, you heard me, 25% off. And cherry on top. Free shipping, oh my god. (laughs) I have a few of the stuff that he has made for me. And girl, I'm wearing it right now. I'm wearing like a little jock strap so that I could easily just like slip a little butt plug or dildo every now and then here and there. And I'm on the train. I'm just like, uh, 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 thank you, Dale. That's dalecuda.com with the code SEXEDWITHTIM for 25% off your entire purchase with free shipping. With a deal like that, I swear I could come buckets, honey. <laughs> hey, you disgusting pervs. We all like sex toys, right? Nipple clamps, vibrators, masturbators, oh my. 
Good For Her has one of the best selection of sex toys, learning resources, online workshops, and gender expression materials you can't find anywhere else. Go to goodforher.com and use code SEXEDWITHTIM10 for 10% off your purchase of any of the toys bought online. That's G-O-O-D-F-O-R-H-E-R.com and the code S-E-X-E-D-W-I-T-H-T-I-M-1-0 at checkout for 10% off your purchase of any of the toys bought online. And they ship worldwide. Trans-inclusive, feminist, and pleasure-focused, Good For Her has been doing the Lord's work since 1997, bringing you everything you need to get that... Uh... Uh... The show is about to begin. Yes. When it comes to masturbating, we are so like ejaculation focused. But I myself have this very special talent of being able to separate my orgasm and my ejaculation. So I will hold the title of being a multi-orgasmic man. Thank you very, very much. Um, but that's just my, um, th- that's my practice. So I was wondering if you can tell the listeners more about, like, for those with a penis, how can they separate their ejaculation from their orgasm? Because those two things are very different, but they happen so close within each other that it's kind of hard to, like, distinguish the difference yeah totally so um that's amazing firstly that you're multi-orgasmic thank but, uh, you um, i also will claim that title as well yeah um, multi-orgasmic man um to put to put it very simply i suppose this is a, a huge oversimplification but just for the sake of this um time and and brevity is ejaculation is a uh, let's say a function of the sympathetic nervous system, right? Your fight or flight response, um, the the stress response, the survival response of the body. We might say we might say that ejaculation is a survival mechanism, um, right? That's a whole theory behind that. Uh, and orgasm, on the other hand, is a function of the parasympathetic nervous system, or you know your relaxation response, your rest and digest response, and. You know, sexual function is this beautiful interplay, this dance between those two branches of the nervous system, the parasympathetic and the sympathetic. Um, and oftentimes those two nervous systems are, or those two branches of the autonomic nervous system are known as involuntary branches of the nervous system. And, you know, meaning that we kind of don't have voluntary control over them, but we actually do, right? That's a, that's actually a fallacy from medical textbooks that they're involuntary um, nervous systems. So, through breathing, through relaxing, through doing certain activities and exercises and just kind of training yourself, you can start to engage different parts of the nervous system, either the sympathetic branch or the parasympathetic branch. Wim Hof, for example, is doing a whole bunch of breathing stuff, breath work and breathing techniques and exercises, which help you separate um, into each one of those nervous systems. Uh, so, so when we're doing things sexually, I suppose, uh, and we have an ejaculation, for example, What's actually happening is we're having the orgasm first, the parasympathetic branch of the nervous system sparks, and we have this orgasmic feeling. And then almost simultaneously, but it's actually a millisecond after that, we have an Mm -hmm. ejaculation response in terms of like the emission and expulsion phases of an ejaculation through the sympathetic nervous system. And um, for a lot of guys, we kind of think, 
those two things are we we conflate those two things we think they're the same thing uh, but actually they're two separate physiological processes that's the key thing to realize here is they're two separate things and so we can learn to separate them and one of the easiest ways to learn how to separate them is through breathing like i alluded to because you then have conscious control over which part of your nervous system you can go into but to put this like very very plainly think about the things that happen when you ejaculate Right when you ejaculate, oftentimes, right? This, I'll I'll generalize here, but this is very. You should land for a lot of people if you've got a penis mm-hmm. and you ejaculate. Is you quicken your breath, and even maybe heighten your breath. By that, I mean it goes up into the chest or up into the thorax. Possibly you even hold your breath as well. Uh, mm-hmm. You might tense up. Right, this is called myotonia. You get muscle tightness. And tension. Especially in the legs. Right, yeah. Like yeah, your you, legs really get tight. Yeah. You, maybe you're through the toes. glutes, yeah, and, and through the pelvis as well. And, and some guys even describe it an experience of like trying to push as well. They're trying to push the ejaculation out. There's like this pushing sensation. Um, you also uh, might notice that your heart rate goes up. Um, because of that tension and breathing, your heart rate tends to elevate. Uh, because of that, your temperature goes up as well. Uh, you might sweat and perspire. And so all these things are characteristics of an ejaculation, right? But say we took those characteristics out of the erotic context, out of the sexualized context, and we applied it to a guy walking down the street. All of a sudden, we just saw this guy tense up and squeeze and convulse and push and hold his back. We think this <laughs> he's guy's having an having, orgasm in the middle of the street. <laughs> well, we would think he's having some sort of anxiety attack in the street, right? If we didn't really know right. if it was a sexual experience, we think, wow, this guy's having a this this guy's having an episode. He's having a good time. Right. I want what he's having. <laughs> and and I often say ejaculation is like a pleasurable anxiety attack um, because all mm. those characteristics, those symptoms of elevated tension in the body are parts of the sympathetic nervous system response. They're, they're stress responses. Um, you know, and stress here, stress is often a bad word. Stress isn't bad in any like real way like there's good stress um people that practicing maybe uh some kink and bdsm know about good stress and how to kind of like mm-hmm. apply that to your sexual experience to heighten it so stress isn't necessarily bad i, I want to kind of clear that up but ejaculation is that kind of heightened tension response in the body that heightened stress response so in order to learn how to separate that from orgasm do the opposite of what you do when you ejaculate so instead of tightening up and tensing and really trying to squeeze and push when you ejaculate see if you can relax and let go as much as possible and you know surrender your muscles and just kind of have them loose and chilled out as much as you can instead of breathing really quickly and even holding your breath and bring it up into the chest see if you can slow the breath down into the diaphragm and really deepen it and lengthen it and prolong the breath instead of shooting the heart rate up because of all that see if you can slow the heart rate down See if you can let the temperature cool down as well um, and just do – it sounds very simple. It's not, and yeah. once you start practicing, it, it tends to get a bit um, convoluted. But in in terms of the principle of it, to separate those two things, just try and do the opposite of an ejaculation and start to expand that parasympathetic experience because that's your, mm-hmm. that's your orgasm experience essentially. Um, and there's a lot more to that. That's just kind of like the very basic foundational entrance into that particular type of training for separating those right. two things. And we're probably going to have like a different episode altogether on have, becoming a multi-orgasmic man. But that is a very good jumping off point because for me, um, I go to therapy for like my anxiety and my therapist told me about like triangular breathing, which is inhale three, exhale three and hold for three. Mm. And 
when you said like it's almost like an anxiety attack i used that breathing technique for my masturbating to help me become more multi-orgasmic and it is life-changing um that also on top of the fact that i use different parts of my body to masturbate Mm. um so for example uh when i'm masturbating it's not stroking but more of like i'm stimulating only my frenulum yeah which then gives me an entirely different sensation altogether and makes me like separate my orgasm from my ejaculation also like i do my kegels i'm doing my kegels right now and you wouldn't even know um (laughs) so that that is one way to masturbate and that's very genital focused what about what i said earlier about like uh prostate stimulation Uh, can you go a little bit more into prostate masturbation Totally. So uh, another way of becoming multi-orgasmic is to completely bypass the ejaculation response altogether. And uh, and one way to do that is to stimulate your prostate, which is innervated by what's called the hypogastric nerve, which only carries parasympathetic fibers, which means that if you're orgasming through the prostate, you, you don't engage the sympathetic nervous system, which means you don't engage the ejaculation response, which means you have an orgasm that doesn't involve an ejaculation, which means you can have another one because there's no refractory period, which means you become multi-orgasmic, which means you can go on and have as many orgasms as you like through your prostate yeah. and, um, <laughs> and you just keep on going. So, uh, so that's, a, that's another way of becoming multi-orgasmic is through learning how to have a prostate orgasm, which when I talk to, I guess when I coach guys through exploring their prostate and um, anal play and, and learning how Do to they have, have a fear of orgasm, being gay, like if they like it, that's a huge one. Yeah. So there's a, there's, there's a couple of fears, right. That I usually have to overcome with them. And one of them is about pain. One of them is about um, hygiene. Uh, one of them is about that homophobia, right. Either mm-hmm. internalized or overt. Um, and you know, th- there's a whole process, I suppose, that I go through with guys to kind of help them normalize exploring their body firstly before they even touch their anus it's like let's open you up to just exploring your body in general um and then from there it's like you know uh instead of going straight you know so, uh, for some reason people think as soon as we start talking about anal play like oh we've got to stick a fist up there stick it. it's like it's like no I mean, that's me cam that <laughs> is my beginner 101 course <laughs> And it's like that's all. Yeah, you can go that down that route, but you don't have to start there, man. You know, that's my that's my um my takeaway with with guys is like, look, you can start with just a little bit of you know touching of the rim, right, and just exploring a little Massage bit of lube around it. Yeah, it's, exactly, right. There's so much that you can do without even penetrating, um, which uh, it, it's like where I begin, and then you know from there uh, we talk we talk about. Uh, penetration, then we talk about prostate stimulation, and I often break down prostate stimulation into prostate massage, which is quite therapeutic and really good for your health, um, reproductive and sexual health. And then there's also prostate play, which is the other end of the spectrum, which is like with the um, intention of experiencing pleasure. And I often try and take the goal of orgasm off here as well. Even though we've been talking about prostate orgasms, I try and say, look, enjoy the the experience don't try and aim to have a particular experience try and just enjoy whatever comes up because oftentimes the first at least in my experience with working with guys who are new to prostate play the first couple of times they do it they actually don't have a prostate orgasm um, and i have to 
kind of help coach them to the point where they're just enjoying the experience and it almost becomes like a bit of a happy accident that they have a prostate orgasm. Oh, yeah. happy accident. <laughs> and, so uh, and that kind of light bulb moment goes off for them and they, they realize, oh, wow, this is a thing my body can do. And then from there, that opens the door for them to have a bit more of an experience later on. Oh my gosh, right? Like when, when the buttons click, when the lines connect and you have that prostate orgasm, you, it is like uh, Aladdin, a whole new world. It just truly, just, it's magical. Um, now, I know that there are guys who are going to be like, okay, so how do I start exploring? Like, what can I do? Like, um, yeah, like you can use your finger and like reach up towards your navel and feel for like a walnut uh, sensation and that'll be your prostate. But how about some toys? What are some tools that people can use to like, um, either genital or prostate like what are some things that you can recommend yeah um look i've never been a, a fan of using my finger i'll say that off the bat just because um it's just awful it's a lot of work. Find. yeah it's very it's, it's like my wrist gets sore and i'm just yeah, yeah it's tough yeah so i <laughs> um, i've been told that the using your finger is not so much manual as it is digital so yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah i feel that i um yeah so i, I i'm a big advocate for using toys um is what i'll say and uh, look, you can start off with something like a, um, I mean, I'm not a rep for Aneros, but I really love their products. So I don't mind. Me too. I have them. one. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I've got a couple actually. And um, Fend some from my way, please. Yeah. <laughs> they're, I mean, they're, they're fantastic products in the sense that they're like really, um, they're body safe. They're actually designed by a medical company as well. Um, they know their stuff. They know the they body do. parts really yeah, well. Yeah, very yeah. much so. Yeah. So they've got some really great um and therefore, we've got a couple of different varieties in terms of like, um, I think in terms of length and in terms of um, like the, the girth of the bulbous kind of end of the prostate stimulator as well. So um, fantastic starting point, I think anyway, uh, for people that are interested in exploring it. Uh, the the uh, thing to note is they're, they're manual, right? So that they don't vibrate. And oftentimes when I again what i was alluding to before like the difference between massage and play oftentimes i will use like a manual massager for prostate massage which is again a little bit maybe more therapeutic not to say it's not pleasurable but it's oftentimes for maybe uh doing prostate milking or for just kind of um that general well-being and health um prostate play on the other hand again for me personally and the way that i frame it with the guys that i work with often involves more let's say frenetic stimulation from like a, vo- a prostate vibrator. Uh, and I am a rep for Love Honey, so I will disclose that. But they've got a really great <laughs> product called the um, the Deluxe. It's called the Deluxe Prostate Vibrator. And out of all the prostate vibrators, I've tried a whole bunch. Um, out of all of them that I've tried, that tends to be, for me, the one that works the best. Um, and the reason why it's because it's um, – it's got a bit of flexibility and a bit of give to it. A lot of other prostate vibrators tend to be quite firm and they don't have a lot of like malleability. And that lack of malleability oftentimes then, like it's not hitting my prostate directly, but one that's got a bit more give to it and can be move, moved around. Um, for me personally, I can get it snug up against the prostate. Uh, and oftentimes, especially with the guys that I work with, that added vibration is what gets them over the line to have a prostate orgasm. Um, they find it a little bit difficult to just use the manual stimulator and, and, and have a prostate orgasm. It's the, that kind of really energetic vibration that gets them to that point of stimulation that they're, they're enough to have that orgasm. So, um, so that's the kind of like 
I'd say in terms of if you're new to this and you want to kind of step it up, uh, let's say, you know, bit by bit, explore with a finger, maybe with a glove on and some lube, uh, and then maybe move up to a manual prostate massager that's, um, you know, not scary. It's not very invasive, I guess. And uh, you can move it around with not only with your hands, but also with your Kegel exercises as well. You can do your Kegels while the prostate massage is in. And that'll your kind of erection move around. lifts when you put a towel on your boner. And then- very much so. If you're, yeah. if, you're doing, uh, if you're doing Kegels that strong, then I applaud you. That's uh, it's a good effort. <laughs> uh, and then from there, maybe moving up to a, a prostate uh, vibrator because um, they tend to be a little bit, let's say, um, girthier than a, a manual prostate massager. So um, for guys that have never done it before, it can look a little bit intimidating, a little bit scary. So uh, that's my that's the progression that I go with guys in terms mm-hmm. of um, coaching them to have that prostate mm-hmm. stimulation with a toy particularly. So I will be including all of these toys in the show notes if you're listening right now so that you can all start your beautiful journey into uh, prostate play into uh, multi-orgasmic sensations. Don't worry, I am taking care of you all. So uh, just watch the the description; it'll be right there. Uh, so, Cam, this far into the conversation, we've been like very body focused. I want to shift it just a tiny bit to uh, improving our sex life, improving at least male sexual performance. When it comes to like performance anxiety or like communicating our needs, what do we do wrong and how do we, you know, improve on that? Yeah. So this is a um, really multi-layered um, answer, but uh, there's a couple of things, I suppose. Like one of the things that I like to talk to men about with regards to performance anxiety is... I know you just said like we talk a lot about the body, but this is a, a, a an answer that involves the body. Uh, right. Performance anxiety is very heady. It's right? very in very, the mind, right? Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. It's 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 uh it's all about stories that we tell ourselves. So one of the things that I suggest to people that do have that performance anxiety come up is a strategy of getting them out of the head and back into their body. And that strategy is to focus on the sensations that you feel in your hands. So if you're noticing that you know, you're having this story come up in your head of like, oh God, am I going to get an erection or oh God, am I going to last long enough or are they, he, she, are they going to, you know, enjoy themselves to stop those stories is to get out of your head and to get out of your head is to focus on what you're feeling in, say the tips of your fingers to begin with. So place the tips of your fingers, even on your partner. If you're by yourself, you can practice by yourself and just start noticing what you're touching and and really slow down as well. The slower and the softer and the gentler you can be with your touch, the more sensation you'll notice. And if you can focus on that, you might notice that it's actually quite pleasurable. Actually, it's quite enjoyable to touch something really softly and gently and lightly. I like how you touch yourself there just now. Too, yeah, just <laughs> yeah, touching my chest. I really like touching my chest and I, I like my partner touching my chest. And you might find when you focus on what you're, you enjoy touching, um, especially if it's your partner, that if you're enjoying yourself touching them, they'll most likely enjoy you touching them and you'll have that positive kind of feedback loop start to happen where they're enjoying it and they're enjoying you enjoying it and you're enjoying them enjoying it and it becomes this positive pleasurable feedback loop which then starts to build the arousal again, starts to build the pleasure again, starts to get you back more into the mood, gets you back more into that kind of container of um, 
pleasure and arousal and enjoyment, which can bring an erection back, which can get you back into that kind of really sexy, erotic kind of space. And, um, and it kind of gets you over that hurdle of you being in your head. So it's a very practical, straightforward way of going, okay, I'm in my head. Let me get back into my body. Now I'm back in my body. Let's experience pleasure. Now that we're experiencing pleasure, we can move on to, you know, um, the next phase or the next, um, scenario sexual scenario that we have with our partners um a a more like let's say conceptual way of thinking about this and and overcoming performance anxiety is um like is is to approach the performance side of things right we often think that we have to perform sex in a certain way right often guys think that sex has to look very linear like it's got to go a then b then c then d and if it doesn't happen in that order then things then you're you know, broken yeah you're right things are wrong exactly yeah. um so instead of thinking of sex as really linear like that try to think of sex as a bit more dynamic and and even circular as well uh you can go from a to d to c to a to b to whatever right and you can <laughs> you can come and go as you please to f yeah <laughs> right you could and you can you can you can re- revisit things and you know once you've started you know having penetrative sex that doesn't mean that you can't go back to you know, fingering or um, using your mouth or, you know, doing a sexy massage or just cuddling and slowing down. It, you know, it, it, I often ex- tell guys to experiment with not ejaculating when they're with their partner as well. That's a big story that a lot of guys have around what sex is supposed to look like is that it has to end mm-hmm. in ejaculation. So if you can make the decision to have sex with your partner and, and say to them, look, I want to have sex with you, but let's let's experiment with me not ejaculating, or with you, with you not ejaculating, and see kind of see what happens. And oftentimes, there's a question that arises, which is, well, how do we know when sex is finished? What do we what do we do? Right? Yeah. And it's um, like, what now? What next? Exactly, exactly. And so you you have this like opportunity then to start broadening, right, and adding things to that erotic menu that I was talking about before. You kind of give yourself this this chance to say, well, if we're not focusing on ejaculation, why don't we focus on this instead? And if we're not trying to get to this end goal of finishing sex with an ejaculation, then how about we just slowly wind things down when we feel a little bit tired? Or how about we just sit in this really beautiful sexual kind of space and, and, you know, explore some other things. And, uh, and if you can do that really mindfully, then it's uh, really powerful. Oftentimes those stories of like what ejaculation means get brought up when, you know, in an unconscious, I'll say, or in an unwitting way, maybe when we've had too much to drink, this is definitely true for me, mm-hmm. uh, is mm-hmm. when I was in my drinking days, if I had too much to drink, I, you know, I, I couldn't come. And then a lot of stories would whiskey come dick. up of like, yeah, whiskey dick or brewer's droop, right? And, um, <laughs> and so the idea like uh, in those, I guess in those scenarios was, um, you know, I, I tended to blame the booze. That was kind of my crutch was I would drink and drink and drink to excess. And then if anything went wrong, I'd just say, oh, it was just the alcohol. I was just too fucked up. But, you know, the stories that pop up in those moments are what's wrong with me or what's wrong with my partner because I didn't come or, you know, all, all this sort of negative stuff. But if you can make the decision, hey, let's let's not ejaculate or let's not penetrate, right? Or let's not do this that we usually do when we're having sex it can mindfully bring up those stories so you can challenge them, right? And so that you can overcome those anxieties so that you can really challenge what it means to perform a certain way sexually. So um, that's another strategy that I like to, to give people that I work with is yeah. what do you usually do when you're having sex? Don't do that 
intentionally <laughs> next time and see what happens. And, um, and it gives you an opportunity to kind of challenge those stories for yourself. What you're doing right now, stop it. Don't do it. Just <laughs> exactly. stay for another time. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> stop it. Oh my God. The number of times I've had sex and he doesn't come. Uh, Cause like I'm a cum dump. I identify as a cum dump. Those are my pronouns. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> but like most of the times that it has never like ended up in ejaculation, it's mostly because his partner is coming over and now we got to wrap it up. So I'm like, Oh boy, now we got to do this whole dance of like, is it done yet? Is it finished? Now it's just like, no, we can just like make out for the next 10, 15 minutes until your husband is here. And then we can like be on our merry way. But, um, yeah, like, some of my most favorite sexual encounters have been just like we're making out and we're masturbating each other we didn't even penetrate and that's it like that was beautiful and just like that half hour that we spent together on your lunch break and yeah my lunch break because i work in a financial district and you know <laughs> so um yeah no it, it's very beautiful I, I i thoroughly enjoy even small things like that so you don't have to like have your genitals focused. You don't have to have your orgasm or ejaculation in order for it to be a fun time. I don't know why a lot of guys think that, but you know, that again, that goes back into the whole narrative of things. And it just brings to mind, like, how are we able to communicate our needs a little bit more effectively? So mm. uh, is there any like sort of strategy that, you can give to the male listeners out there that have trouble communicating their sexual needs because they're like they're afraid of being seen as too needy or too girly or whatever yeah so i mean the first um strategy is a holistic strategy i suppose which is like firstly learn what your sexual desires are and that is by self-pleasuring and exploring your own sexuality and having a robust understanding. A lot of people can't communicate their desires or their needs to their sexual partner because they actually don't know what they are. So the first step is learning them, learning what your turn-ons are and what your turn-offs are and where your fantasies are and where your boundaries are. And you can do that by yourself. Um, watching really beautiful ethical porn as well can be a way of exploring that, um, seeing what you're into and what you're not into. Uh, that's one strategy. That's probably the first step. Uh, Something else that I'd like to um, share with couples particularly is the yes, no, maybe so activity. My favorite. Is, yeah, yes. it's amazing. Um, and I, I, I've used it. I've used different iterations of it. I've created my own version of it that I use with clients. And, um, and essentially, like the name suggests, uh, it's, it's a list of sexual activities and you essentially indicate on that list of sexual activities are you a yes to this activity? Are you a no to this activity? Or are you a maybe if the mood strikes and the right circumstances, you'd be into it. Uh, and I suggest to couples to sit down over a glass of wine or a cup of tea and make it a uh, playful thing and non, not so serious thing. Uh, and, and, and something else I suggest as well is do it in a kind of without expectation that anything's going to happen after doing the game as well. So kind of take it out of the bedroom, right? Is what I kind of mean here is like take it out of that sexual context because oftentimes there's a lot more pressure and it's a high stakes situation. If we try and have that conversation about needs and desires right when we're about to have sex, it's oftentimes a lot of stories come up and it can be quite difficult to do that. So if we can just make it in a, let's say safe environment where it's a bit more low stakes, a bit more low pressure, 
like a glass of wine or a cup of tea, hence that suggestion. Um, then you can go through it with your partner and, and it's, it, the, the onus then is on the game, right? The responsibility is on the game. You don't have to come up with all the particular activities. Uh, you don't have to say, this is what I'm into. This is what I want. Do you want this as well? You can go, oh, hey, look at this thing on this list. Um, having a threesome, <laughs> for example. Oh, I'm actually a yes to that. That's something I'd be interested in doing. Oh, what did you, you know, what did you pick for that? What did you think of that? Um, and you might be surprised. They might say that they're into it as well. Oh, we're both a yes for this. That's pretty amazing. How about the next time that we have sex, we try a couple of things that we were both a yes to, whether it was anything from biting each other's nipples to, you know, a an orgy or whatever it is, right? It could be whatever's on mm -hmm. the list. Um, so that's something Having that an entire first. arm from your ass into your throat if you're into that. <laughs> exactly, right? If that's your entry level into anal play, fisting. <laughs> that's my entry level. That is, that um, could be on my Patreon, but um, yeah. Uh, so that's a, that's a really uh, great strategy is the yes, no, maybe so game. Yeah. I have, my version of that is because I find that when I'm coaching uh, couples or or poly relationships or whatever, they don't really know where to start because working with like a blank slate is so challenging. Mm. So I'm just like, here's a deck of cards of sexual activities and non-sexual activities. Pick what you like and then put it on this list and then see what you're into. Because like the imagination can run wild and it's just like, I don't know where to start or I don't even know what to call this act. So I'm just going to put that down and then I'm going to let my partners see what I like and see what they like and it just makes for a more enjoyable little game so I totally understand and also like learning your love language mm. you know I feel like that's definitely a big thing it's like for me it's physical touch and words of affirmation which I'm like ah please just like tell me I am a slut <laughs> that's words of affirmation <laughs> and just like choke me until I turn not blue but like at least until my eyes roll to the back of my head that's my physical touch <laughs> could be an act of service but um yeah so uh <laughs> yeah no i totally get it and th that's just so beautiful that like um w you and i as sex educators we are totally on the same spectrum here we're, we're on the we're in the same plane of existence when it comes to like you coaching your straight men me coaching my gay men and it's just like men are just we need to really like rebuild this narrative of what it means to be a sexual being what it means to be a man what it means to be masculine so with that being said is there something that you can say to wrap this all up in one beautiful bow on why or or rather what should we as men do to help become better men for ourselves and for our partners Geez, no pressure here, Tim. Wow. I know, right? It's a very light question. <laughs> Just like <laughs> um, Well, something that I have said before, and I will say it again, is if you want to become a better penetrator, you need to know what it feels like to be penetrated. Mm-hmm. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes. Thank you, Cam. And listeners, that is a straight white man saying that. Come on. And that's you're probably tired of hearing me saying that. <laughs> so <laughs> oh man, thank you. Oh no worries. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that is uh, that take that to the heavens, put take that to the bank, take that everywhere with you. In order for you to become a better penetrator, learn what it's like to be penetrated. And not just like penetration, like learn what it's like to receive touch. Mm. Not just like give touch too. 
Totally. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's a very very clickbaity like phrase, but uh, in terms of the principles of it, yeah, it's like just learn what it's like to receive, learn what it's like to be touched, learn what it's like to actually experience pleasure uh, because all those things will make you better at doing them, at at touching, at giving, at, um, you know, bestowing pleasure on your partner and allowing them to receive as well. So the the principles behind it are are so um, deep and profound, but I just love the idea of, fuck, man, if you want to learn what it's like to, you know, be penetrated, then, I mean, it'll make you a better lover for sure, 100%. Yes, I agree. Oh, my God, Cam, you're so fucking amazing. Uh, You are just, like, truly a treasure to the world. I can't get enough of you. I'm pretty sure the listeners can't get enough of you either. So please make like a butt and plug away everything <laughs> where people can find you. That's amazing. I'm going to steal that line, actually. Yeah, um, go ahead. My, uh, my, my, I mean, the two ways that people might want to get in contact with me first is through my Instagram page, which is at the Cam Fraser. And I, um, my little tagline, I suppose, for that is uh, if you jump on there, you will learn something new. My whole philosophy with regards to Instagram and social media is to educate. And so I promise you that if you jump on my Instagram page and click on a random post, you will learn something new. Um, my other way of getting in contact with me is through our website, which is cam-fraser.com. And on there, I've got my online coaching courses. Uh, I've got a course for men in particular called Outperformer Porn Star, which I am very proud of. I'm not ashamed to say. Um, I think it's a great, valuable course um, and it subverts that whole idea of performance like we've been talking about. Um, I just love the clickbaity title of Outperformer Porn Star. <laughs> it sucks in the guys that I know need this work. Um, Ooh, and uh, I want to suck in the guys too. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and um and yeah i'm really i'm just really stoked that i've put that course together it took me ages to do and i'm really happy with how it turned out so that's something that i am shamelessly plugging awesome thank you so much cam i'm definitely going to try to outperform a porn star. i mean i already do but like that's just for people to find out if they ever want me in their bedroom um thank you again cam for joining me here on sex ed with tim for all you listeners out there thank you so much for tuning in to another episode and i will see you at the next one bye thanks for listening to the sex ed with tim podcast sex ed with tim is created and produced by me tim lagman music is aces high by kevin mcleod Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at GaySlutClown and at SexEdWithTim. You can also like and follow me on the Sex Ed with Tim Facebook page. If you enjoyed the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Even better, you can also support the show on Patreon, where you can get early access to ad-free episodes and more. Thanks for all your support, you dirty little slut. Mwah! Thank you.